Well, have your plans ever been interrupted? Uh, You've had your kids all tucked in for bed and you're looking forward to a night with your spouse relaxing only to have junior puke all over. Uh, Or you're leaving for a trip and you get a few miles down the road and you run over a nail and you get a flat tire and suddenly things are derailed. Or that, uh, that DIY project that was supposed to take you 20 minutes uh, now has you running back to the hardware store for the third time, right, as you continue to unearth more issues. Duh, Chris, of course we've had our lives interrupted, right? The last year has been one big interruption in all of our lives. Well, when we get interrupted, it's frustrating, isn't it? Our response, at least internally, is rarely gracious. And for some, when a plan gets thrown off, it can be downright overwhelming, enough to ruin a whole day. Last week, uh, our section in Mark concluded with the disciples going off, uh, as they regularly did, to be with Jesus. Dan encouraged us to habitually go away and be with Jesus, and I hope that you've had a chance to do just that this week as you've read the book of Mark. But While the disciples tried to go and be away with Jesus, we're going to see in our text this morning that they were interrupted. Their plans to escape were foiled by a crowd of 5,000 who saw what they were doing and beat them to the countryside, to their place of seclusion, taking their time again. And so as we continue on in the book of Mark, we'll be looking at chapter 6, verses 30 to 52 this morning. If you haven't yet, would you open up your Bibles there? Uh, you can find all the sermon notes in the Version Bible app. I'll be preaching from the Christian Standard Bible, but you're welcome to read from whatever translation you want. Uh, we're going to start with verse 30 to 44, and I'm going to read this whole story, and then we'll go back through and break it down section by section. So Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 44. It says this, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, Come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. For many people were coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place. But many saw them leaving and recognized them, and they ran on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples approached him and said, this place is deserted and it is already late. Send them away so they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. You give them something to eat, he responded. They said to him, should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? He asked them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he instructed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke the loaves. He kept giving them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. Everyone ate and was satisfied. They picked up 12 baskets full of pieces of bread and fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were 5,000 men. In this first section from verses 30 to 33, we see the disciples' desire. The disciples, as Dan pointed out last week, were tired from all that they'd 
been doing. You might remember at the beginning of chapter 6, Jesus sent them out two by two to do gospel ministry, and they came back tired, right? We don't know how much time passed or how long they were out, but we do know that they were traveling around from home to home and engaging with people that the good news that the kingdom of Jesus had arrived. It was tiring work, right? And sandwiched in to, their, uh, to them traveling around is this beheading of John the Baptist, right? A reminder for Mark's readers that sometimes following Jesus comes at a cost, a very high cost. And certainly uh, the disciples faced persecution and opposition as they traveled throughout the region, sleeping where they could and eating what was provided to them by those they came in contact with. So they arrive back to the meeting point with Jesus and they're around him gathered and they're telling him all the things that they'd done of their successes and their failures, of the excitement and the disappointment of those that welcomed them and of those that chased them away. Jesus, hearing all that they'd done and no doubt seeing the weariness on their faces, invites them in, verses 30, in verse 31 to come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. You can imagine the disciples' relief, right? After all that hard work and all that travel, as Jesus says to them what he still says to us today, come away and rest with me. Their desire to be with Jesus was finally going to be met. They had been gathered with him, right? And then they scattered two by two to go do ministry. And now they would regather again to be energized, to be taught, to eat and to rest. It's a lot like church, right? We gather here so we can scatter. We gather on Sundays and in life groups throughout the week so that uh, when we go to our places of employment, our schools, when we spend time with our friends and our family, we can come ready to do what the disciples did and speak the gospel into people's lives. So we can be ready to leverage relationships we have for the sake of Jesus. As the disciples hop into the boat, though, to regather with Jesus, there's a problem, right? People saw what they were doing. They saw where they were going, and they ran ahead to the landing spot where they would be. Their desire to be with Jesus, to rest, was interrupted. In verses 34 to 37, we see two responses to this interruption, one by Jesus and one by the disciples. Jesus, remember, is fully God and fully man, right? He gets tired too. Just like you and I get tired, Jesus got tired. It's not in the text, but I suspect that Jesus was very much looking forward to some time by the sea enjoying some fish with his close friends. It would be completely understandable to us if Jesus had directed the disciples to sail to a different spot where all these people weren't, maybe somewhere on the other side of the sea, or if he had at least acted a little bit annoyed, right, that this enormous crowd had taken up their place. But he isn't. He's not annoyed. Jesus isn't put off. He's not inconvenienced. It doesn't look like he's bothered at all. Instead, in verse 34, it says, Jesus is moved to compassion by the crowd who showed up. He saw a large crowd, it says, and had compassion on them because they were like a sheep they were like sheep without a shepherd then he began to teach them many things jesus has compassion mark says because the crowd was like a sheep without a shepherd 
Jesus looks at the crowd and sees the people for what they are, broken and searching for something. Some commentators suggested that this crowd gathered uh, may be looking for Jesus as their military leader. They're looking for someone to lead them in a military style. They'd seen how he drew a crowd, right, and how he was able to effortlessly captivate people, and they perhaps arrived here with the intention of capturing him and thrusting him into this role as their military leader or king, someone who would be ready to mobilize the Israelite army against their oppressors the Roman Empire. But Jesus isn't interested in being a militaristic king, and instead, he begins to teach them many things. The disciples' response to the crowd is a bit different, right? They don't show compassion, but instead, they begin to grumble. Look at verses 35 and 36 again, and hear the disciples as they talk to Jesus. This place is deserted, they say, and it's already late. Send them away so they can go get some food. Oh, Jesus, don't you see we're tired of this and we're hungry? You've taught them enough. It's getting dark. They need to go home. We need to rest. We need to eat. We don't care if these people want to see you. Get them out of here. Send them away. They're grumbling, right? They're not compassionate. They're focused on their lives being interrupted. Last week, as I said, Pastor Dan concluded his message uh, with the call to habitually go away and be with Jesus, and that should be a pattern in your life. You should go away in solitude with Jesus as often as you can, and and you should look for Jesus in the interruptions. You should look for Jesus in the chaos of your life. The disciples didn't get it at the time, but Jesus was teaching them something in the midst of this so-called interruption. Just in this brief section, we see Jesus model compassion, right? Something that the disciples clearly needed to grow in and something that probably clearly you and I need to grow in. Jesus teaches the crowds, right? The disciples would have had this amazing front row seat to hear gospel truth reinforced in their lives right in front of them and As people processed what Jesus was teaching them, they would have had so many opportunities to engage and to help people understand what Jesus was talking about. They were about to see another miracle, right? As Jesus multiplies the rations and everyone is fed to the brim. This interruption was an enormous opportunity for the disciples to learn from Jesus, to be more formed into his likeness and to engage with unbelievers for the sake of of the kingdom. So, as you're interrupted by your kids or your coworkers or your teachers or traffic or whatever, just life, right? What will you do? What will you do? I want to challenge you to invite Jesus into that chaos and see how he might be working on you or using you to work on someone else. So before you default to irritation or frustration as I often do, I'm going to encourage you to ask these two questions. First, how might God be using this to form me into the image of Jesus? How might God be using this to form me into the image of Jesus? And second, how might God want to use me in this situation for his glory? Consider that sometimes God places interruptions in your life so that you can be used in someone else's. If screaming kids... Ask the question, how is God using this to shape me? 
And you have a coworker who won't stop complaining. How might God use me here to show them Jesus? Maybe your body or your mind aren't quite as sharp as they once were and you're interrupted by pain and the inability to do things like you used to. Ask the question, what is God teaching me through this? And you're feeling like things just aren't going your way, right? You're overwhelmed and you can't snap out of it. Maybe you're pulling more than your share of weight at your job than your coworkers, or maybe uh, you're pulling more weight around the house than your spouse or roommates, or your kids won't listen again. Your parents or teachers are frustrating you. When those moments hit, instead of spiraling into despair or frustration or lashing out in anger, Ask yourselves these questions. How might God be using this to form me? Or how might God want to use me here for his glory? It's not easy to do that. It's not easy to ask these questions, right? Sometimes you'll feel like asking them, but more often you'll probably feel like blowing them off and responding however you feel like it. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, if you can look at your situation not as an interruption, but as an opportunity to either be shaped or to help shape someone. God will use it. So, go away and be with Jesus regularly. Have your quiet time as often as you can. Read a chapter of Mark every single day as we've been encouraged to do and just spend time with Jesus and look for Jesus in the interruptions. Invite him in and get to know him in the parts of life that you don't that you don't want to deal with, the parts that are hard and painful and feel unnatural to have Jesus in. It's not easy to do, but it's so worth it. As you do, as you invite him into those things, you'll begin to find yourself having compassion for people instead of grumbling about your situation. Well, in this section so far, we've seen the disciples' desire. We've seen two responses to being interrupted. And now third, in verses 38 to 44, we see that Jesus provides. Jesus provides. The disciples tell Jesus to send the people away so they can find food for themselves, right? But Jesus responds to their demand with an order of his own. You, disciples, give them something to eat. There were 5,000 men gathered here, remember. The disciples came on a boat. They didn't have enough food to feed 5,000 men, right? And yes, they were probably all grown men. There are different words uh, in Greek for men and women and children and people more generally, and the verse, or the word in verse 44 is the word for grown men. And so you can hear their exasperation, right? Should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? Six months' wages? After all we've done and been through and sat through, now you want a few of us to go and spend that much money to carry back food for 5,000 men? Are you nuts, Jesus? Are you nuts? They didn't get it yet, somehow, right? But of course Jesus would provide food. Of course Jesus would provide. And so he sends the disciples to the boat to gather the meager supplies they have and then instructs them to gather the people into groups. He looks to heaven, he breaks and blesses the loaves, and then the people eat until, verse 42 says, everyone was satisfied with 12 baskets left over. 
It's impossible uh, not to notice the difference in how Jesus and Herod went about satisfying their people. Remember last week we heard uh, that Herod had this nation hanging in the balance. His own people were upset with him because of his foolish political decisions, and the Jewish people were also not happy with him. And so, in an effort to appease and satisfy this restless group, Herod threw an absolute rager of a party, right? This big old raunchy gathering with every kind of debauchery under the sun. And what happened as a result? Well, Herod is deeply distressed. John the Baptist ends up beheaded The people woke up the next morning with their hangovers and fleeting memories of what happened the night before. And do you think they were satisfied? Of course not. Of course they weren't satisfied. They were sick. They were tired. They were hungry. They were just as empty and unsettled about Herod as they were the morning before. It's just now they were throwing up on top of it. On the other hand, we have Jesus, right? Crowds recognize his authority and flock to him. He doesn't have to try and buy a crowd with alcohol and prostitutes like Herod. People recognize that Jesus had something they'd never seen before, and they did whatever it took to be around him. And so, when the people gather, Jesus satisfies them with bread and fish, physical food that's full of nutrients, and teaches them from the Word of God, teaching that would challenge and comfort their souls. Many didn't understand it yet, and they wouldn't for a while, but the sustenance that Jesus provides is different than anything the world has to offer. It's fuller. It's more real. Sadly, you and I too often settle for what Herod provides, right? Sometimes it's the same sort of things. We look for our satisfaction in alcohol or drugs or sex, Sometimes it's something else, but it always falls short of the soul-quenching satisfaction that only comes from Jesus Christ. His word does not return empty, Scripture says. It accomplishes his will, and so what Jesus says is best for us really is best. What Jesus feeds us from his word really is what we need. We might not always like it. We might feel challenged by it, and sometimes it might even sting right? But what Jesus offers is greater than any party Herod can throw. Our section, uh, our text this morning concludes with a shift in scenes. The disciples, remember through this whole thing, were tired and trying to rest. And so after teaching and performing this amazing miracle and feeding 5,000 hungry men, uh, Jesus sends the disciples on a boat on ahead of him again uh, while he takes care of sending the crowd home. Let's look at verses 45 to 52. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. After he said goodbye to them, he went away to the mountain to pray. Well into the night, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. He saw them straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Very early in the morning, he came toward them, walking on the sea, and wanted to pass by them. When they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke with them and said, Have courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. They were completely astounded because they had not understood about the loaves. Instead, their hearts were hardened. 
We've seen the disciples' desire to be with Jesus, the two responses to an interruption, Jesus' provision, and now somehow we're concluding with hard hearts. We're not going to spend uh, too much time in this before we move to communion, but I'm just going to camp here for a couple of minutes. The disciples, right, have been sent on ahead of Jesus, and in this boat they see something walking on the water. Understandably, they get freaked out, right? They had no reason to suspect that it was Jesus walking on the water, and they see this weird figure kind of walking in the middle of it, and then the wind and the waves, and it's understandable that they'd be a little afraid, right? Imagine you're out on a boat in the middle of the night, and you see something coming toward you. You'd You'd be freaked out, right? And so Jesus, knowing this, and compassionate as he is, reassures them. He climbs into the boat, and he says, hey guys, it's me. It's me. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. Have courage. And then, just as he did a couple of chapters ago, he calms the wind. He commands it to stop, and it does. We would expect the disciples to feel this immense sense of relief, right? Not only is this not a ghost, it's their friend Jesus, who they've been following and who they want to be with. Not only is it Jesus, but the wind also stopped. And so now, as they're rowing across the sea, they don't have to strain anymore. Their work just got a lot easier. We'd expect relief, but that's not what happens. There's no relief. Instead, the text says they were completely astounded. Other translations say they were completely amazed or they were utterly astonished because they had not understood about the loaves, but instead their hearts were hardened, right? Literally a few hours before, the disciples saw Jesus multiply five loaves and two fish into more food than 5,000 hungry men could eat. So much more that there were probably uh, on the deck or just below some of the leftovers from those 12 baskets right by them, reminding them of what Jesus had done. How did they not get it? How did they still not get it? How do they still not understand who Jesus is? They've been part of this exact story before, right? Just a couple of chapters ago, uh, in the middle of a raging storm on the sea, Jesus calms it. He speaks and the wind and the waves stop. They've seen him perform miracles, one uh, just before they got into this boat. They've seen him drive out spirits and heal people and raise a girl from the dead. And still they struggle to believe with hearts that are hard. It's sad. It's hard to read, right? If this were a movie, uh, we'd all be watching the main characters in the boats and we'd be shaking our heads at the screen and wondering, what are these guys doing? Why don't they get it? How do they not understand? But you know what? Way too often, we do the exact same thing. We do the exact same thing as the disciples do. We've seen the transformative power of Jesus and his provision in our lives and in the lives of those around us repeatedly, repeatedly, and yet we struggle to believe. I don't want to beat you over the head with this this morning and make you feel guilty for struggling to believe. Instead, I want to encourage you. Because when you struggle with unbelief, Jesus doesn't blow you off or walk away. Instead, he sees you, just like he saw the crowd and just like he saw the terrified disciples, and he has compassion. Jesus is fully God, right? We see it in his miraculous provision of food and in his ability to walk on water and command 
the wind and the waves, but Jesus is also fully man. He's been tempted in every way like you have. He's been tempted with unbelief, and yet he knows what it is to experience life in all of this difficulties, right? Even though the disciples still doubt and have hard hearts, Jesus gets in the boat and he calms the storm. Even though they doubt, Jesus has compassion. He's compassionate towards us, just like he is towards the disciples in our unbelief. Psalm 103 says it this way, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows what we are made of, remembering that we are dust. Jesus knows what we go through. And Jesus has so much compassion for broken, unbelieving people that he went to the cross for us. He broke bread to feed those 5,000 hungry men, but he broke his body to satisfy the hunger in our souls. Apart from the work of Jesus on the cross, we would all be like wandering sheep who never found their shepherd. We could never be restored to our relationship with God in heaven and our sins would never be forgiven. But God is compassionate. God is compassionate and so he sent his only son to die so that you and I could experience abundant new life, to take our hard hearts made of stone and replace them with new hearts made of flesh. You might be struggling this morning. Maybe you've been searching for satisfaction in all the wrong places. Maybe the interruptions in your life have pushed you to a place of bitterness and anger. Maybe you're feeling overwhelmed with unbelief. I want to give you a minute here as we move to communion to just be in silence with Jesus and lay it all out before him. Where if you've sinned, confess. Confess. Where you've struggled, share that. Jesus will meet you there. When you do, when you confess and when you share, remember that he is faithful to forgive and he is compassionate in our weakness. Let's go before him. Father, we thank you that when we come to you with our sins, you are faithful to forgive us. You separate us from our sin as far as the east is from the west because of what Jesus did on the cross. And when we share that we're struggling, that we're having a hard time believing, you don't walk away or hold us at arm's length. Instead, you press more deeply into us. Father, thank you for this reminder we have in the bread and juice of the extravagant love that you have for us. Would you use these to remind us of the length you are willing to go that we would be redeemed? We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, first we have the bread. Scripture says, on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and we had given thanks, broke it, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the cup. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Would you pray with me one more time? Father, we thank you for this time together in your word and in communion. We thank you that your word is not dead, but very much alive, and that by it you continue to shape our hearts and our minds into the image of your son, Jesus. 
As we continue to walk through the book of Mark, would you keep on challenging us? We're so grateful for your love and compassion for people like us who are sheep who often wander. We ask that you would continue to work on our hearts and help us to see the people around us as you do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.